Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. We've heard some pretty miraculous stories over this series, and the fact that at 17 years old you can be addicted to cocaine, and then in a moment, in a season of your life, God can all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, you experience joy and you experience freedom, and that's all because of the goodness of God. Can we just give God some thanks this morning for what he's doing? And um, the, reason I, the reason we're having you stand right now, it's not for me, I promise. It's, uh, we, we're going we're gonna to put our hand on our heart, and we're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to say some things about us that God says about us. So just say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship, created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up, say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Give yourselves a big hand and uh, you can be seated. Thank you for being here. This is the third week of the Goodness of God series, and, and this is uh, the last week that we're going to be talking about this, because next week we're starting, we're starting Christmas is, but I think um, Maddie's story and the stories that we've heard, Adam and Angela, just about what God has done in people, even in 2017, God still does some pretty awesome stuff, and, um, and it really is all because of the goodness of God, and so we've been talking about in this series really trying to describe in a three-week time span, which you know, is, is, a, is a bold challenge, I think, on our part, to try to describe the goodness of God in, in the span of three weeks. And so we've been talking about that a little bit, um, but I want to talk about how that, relates to, how that relates to us in a very practical sense, because I think that the goodness of God is the goodness of his people. And so if you need notes, you can put your hand up and the ushers will get those to you. It's just like a Disney sing-along. Just follow, follow along to the bouncing note, and it'll be great. Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk today out of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and just talk about the goodness of God as it relates to, as it relates to us. And so we have to have an understanding, and that's what we've been talking about in this, like I said in this series, we have to have an understanding of really how good God is. It's not just about good things, but God is a good God, and it's in his character, it's in his nature to be good and to do good. And so with that understanding, uh, there's, a very, there's some very specific ways that that relates to us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. If you don't have your Bible, um, you have an iPhone or you have the Bible in the sky, and you're welcome to use that. We don't judge you for it. You're not less spiritual because you didn't bring your paper Bible today. So... I have very dry humor, so it's kind of okay. If something's not funny, please don't laugh, because uh, that'll just make me feel bad. And it's not, it's not good reinforcement, because then you laugh at a bad joke, and someone's going to tell them all the time, right? Like some of you have, we just got done with Thanksgiving, and you had a relative that they just like have the jokes that they tell that everyone laughs at, so they think they're actually funny. So if I'm not funny, don't laugh. But if something is funny, it's really okay. Like we like having fun in church, and it's not, this time in the service is not meant to be all super serious, and um, so you're welcome to laugh and just enjoy yourself. Just laugh along. Don't laugh like randomly, because <laughs> that, would, that would make me feel very uncomfortable and insecure. So, uh, so anyway, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, 
This is what I want to use today as our jumping off point. The Bible says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Uh, in other versions of the Bible, if you're more spiritual, if you have a New King James Version, or if you're like, you know, platinum level spiritual and you have the King James Version, then what the Bible says here is it says, God's goodness leads us to repentance. So when God is good towards us, it leads us to a place called repentance, which the, uh, the, if you look at the Bible, when the, when the Bible says repentance, it means it leads us to a place where we turn towards him, where we turn our heart, where we turn ourselves towards who God is in the midst of his repentance. And so the more that I feel like that I learn about God personally at 30 years of age and the more mistakes I make, because I feel like the whole point of getting older is just to screw up more and... Uh, <laughs> And so the, the more mistakes I make, the more I see God love me and be kind to me in the midst of who I am and also very much in the midst of who I'm not, in the midst of the kind of person that I strive to be, that I'm just not, in the midst of me being the person who does, who does the things that I don't want to do and doesn't do the things that I want to do, I see God's goodness and his kindness happen to me in my life. And so this thought process, I feel like we've been talking about, as I said, the goodness of God. The goodness of God, if you want to just look at one Bible verse that sums this whole thing up, it's a Bible verse that all of us would know if we've grown up in, in a developed country in modern society. And that's John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that we would not perish, but all who believed on him would have eternal life. So all of us have heard uh, John three sixteen. It's probably some point in our life, no matter what our walk or relationship with God looks like, we're familiar with this, with this thought process that God so loved, so that God so loves that he sent, he sent Jesus. And many of us know that that's the greatest expression of God's goodness. It's his love that came when Jesus came to earth. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we could have a relationship with God. So this is a concept we hear repeated over and over in the Bible is that God loves us and he's for us and he's with us. And it's something we have to be reminded about. But at the same time, it's, it's something that we've known. And so I like, for me, um, you know, my dad is the kind of person that he, he can kind of like do 100 things at once and does really great. He's like a Da Vinci type person, you know. Uh, he's really busy when he's doing like 100 things at the same time. I'm really busy when I'm doing one thing at the same time. It's just, a, it's just a capacity issue. Like on, on Thanksgiving, you know, my dad had us get up on stage and talk about some things that we're grateful for. And I said I was grateful for Courtney because uh, we just had a kid and she's doing 90% of the work and I'm the one that's tired. So, um, <laughs> so that kind of shows where I'm at. So I need to have a lot of focus in my life and I just need to be in a lane that I'm going to run in. And okay, God, just I can't do 10 things. So just tell me like the one thing that I need to be really working on, really working on, obviously like talking and thinking at the same time is difficult. So working on, focusing on, workusing, if you want to combine those words, <laughs> working on, focusing on those two things, let me know God what, what I need to really do. And, um, and so I think God simplifies, like if you take the entire Bible, the entire character and the nature of who God is, and you put it into one verse, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, surprise 
that this is the most famous verse in the history of the Bible, in the history of the world, is because this is the summation of everything. That God so loved us that he sent, that he sent Jesus. But it's not God just so loved us that he sent Jesus, because everything with God is a pattern for how he wants us to live and how he wants us to operate. So God so loved the world that he sent a man. Because, you know, God could have sent any, anything or anybody. You know, he could have sent a 900-foot-tall Jesus to sit on a throne and destroy all the buildings and cut the heads off all the enemies. He could have sent some animal we'd never seen before to be the savior of the world. He could have sent all kinds of different things that we could probably imagine that would be a little bit more uh, powerful than just a regular man. But what God did is he came in the form of a regular human being 2,000 years ago, this person, Jesus. And yes, he was very much a perfect man. He was perfect in many ways, but he was, he was still a man. And God could have done whatever he wanted. And so these things with God are patterns for our life that he shows us to say, this that I do is significant in terms of what I want you to know about it. And so God sends this man, Jesus, to the earth. And I don't know about you, maybe some of you are like much better Christians than I am, but I don't identify with the perfect part of Jesus. Like some of us were sitting in this room today and, and we're just glad to be in your presence because of how perfect that you are. Like we would be to be in Jesus' presence. But the rest of us, we know how flawed and how many issues we have. The Bible, the Bible tells us about Jesus. It says that he was a man that was acquainted with pain. He was a man that was not cared for, that he was despised and rejected. And that's not something that we think about with Jesus all the time. Because the Jesus we see in our minds when we look at the Bible looks a lot like the Terminator. He's the sin Terminator, right? He's just, he's just going to come and he's going to ride a white horse and he's going to have a flaming sword and like everything's a win all the time. And Jesus was never sad and he was never upset and he never had difficulty that he had to face and he never had hard times that he had to go through. But I think the opposite is true. I think that God sent Jesus to the earth to be well acquainted with what it means to be a human. God knows better than any of us what it means to be a person because he, he created us. So God sent Jesus to the earth to be a human and yes, to be the best human of all time that has ever lived or ever will live, but, but to set Jesus up as to show us what can happen when we believe in what God says. Because what Jesus was, was his relationship. So God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. So their relationship was characterized by love. He sent Jesus to be um, this person who made a way for us to have relationship with him, which means our relationship with God is meant to be characterized for love. And if, if you've been in church for a long time, just thank you for letting me go back to the basics a little bit because I feel like this is important. So when you tie that into Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that God is so good, God's so good towards us that he sent a person to be kind, to be loving, to be patient, to be gentle towards us so that this person's goodness would turn us from our sin. That's, that's what the Bible tells us, is that there's God's tolerance and his goodness towards us is through people. So because of God's love for you and me, he sent a man. So what does that tell us about God? What that tells us about God is that even in sending his own son, so even in sending the most perfect person that was ever created, God uses people to change the world. That's, that's the model that he shows us even with Jesus. There's never been a case in history where God hasn't done what he does through people. God does what he does through people. He uses people. He gets to people. He speaks to people. He encourages people. He lifts people up. He creates people. 
which we're ultimately supposed to be these people that, that are a part of changing the world. And that's, and that's what Jesus shows us. So if I asked you what was said from this pulpit a week ago or a month ago or even a year ago, you might have difficulty remembering it, no matter how good the message is and how much that it impacted you in that moment. But what you wouldn't have difficulty remembering is a coach or a parent or a teacher or a person that has influenced you in the, for the positive in your life. If I asked you to think of somebody that you feel like has, has touched your life in a positive way, you would instantly be able to think about at least one person. Many of us would be multiple people that we feel like, man, that person, because of them, this happened. Or because of them, I found myself in this situation. And that's, that's, that's how it works with God. What changes people's lives is not a song that they hear. It's not a message that they hear, although those things, those things are good. What changes people's lives is an interaction with a person. So God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And what if for just a second, we had a thought process of what if God so loved the world that he sent you? Because that's how it worked with Jesus. What, what if God so loved the world that you're in the world for that very purpose to express the goodness of God through who you are? Because it's God's goodness that leads people to a place of repentance. It's God's goodness that, that leads people to understand the destiny and the purpose and the plan that he has for them. So it's not just about God sending Jesus to the world. That's a really big deal. That's very significant. But how is God's goodness expressed? God's goodness is, is expressed to the world, which it, it intentionally encompasses the entirety of humanity ever in history. So God could have made it really specific. He, should, he could have said, hey, I so love the people that, like, that I get along with really well. I so love the people that have the same interests as me. I so love the people that you know, don't say anything negative about me. God says, I so love the world. So that means everybody that has ever been born, everybody that is alive today, and everybody that ever will be born is so loved by God. doesn't matter who they are, what their religious preference is today, what kind of sin, what kind of issue is in their life. It's as if Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus for them individually. Whether or not they would ever recognize him does not mean that he doesn't love them. Because that's the choice that they have to make. But that doesn't make God any less of a good God. That doesn't make God any less of a loving God. That doesn't give that person any less access to relationship with him as soon as they make that decision. So what if God so loved the world that he sent us? What if God so loved the world that he sent you? In John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So God so loves the world that he sent Jesus, who's this person that we can have, that, that those disciples could have a relationship with. And then Jesus tells us, so now I'm giving you this new commandment. Love each other as I've loved you. So notice he didn't give a suggestion like today I'm up here. I'm here to give you like some suggestions. I can't make you do anything. I can't like apply some rules to your life for you to live by. Although I think all of us would agree that loving people is probably a good idea. Being loving, being generally good uh, will, will aid the world in some way. But Jesus comes and, and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm placing a demand on your life. So I have an expectation on you now that if you're, if you're my friend, if we have relationship with each other, then you're a person that loves people like I love them. 
And you just heard Whitney describe in Romans chapter 8 how the Bible talks about, the Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from God's love. There's nothing that any of us can do. There's no situation that we can find ourselves in. There's no mistake that we can make or no way that a person can mistreat us enough to, to separate us from how much God loves us. And that's a lot to ask out of a person, right? Because we all have a lot of reasons to not love somebody. We all have a lot of reasons to not like care about people anymore. All of us, like Jesus, have felt like people didn't care about us. All of us have felt resented. All of us have felt misunderstood. All of us have felt like it's a better idea that I hate this person. All of us have had those kinds of thought processes in our mind. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, I love you so much. And, and we're all like, oh, man, God, thank you so much. You love me so much. Okay, now you be that way with other people. Well, I don't, like, yeah, I'm not really down for that part. Like, I just want this to be you and me and me feel great and, man, I got a great destiny and that's awesome. And, you know, that person that wronged me, they're just going to hell. So whatever. <laughs> right. But but Jesus, Jesus comes to us and he says, imagine you're in that room with the disciples and it's not theoretical. Like it's so easy to be theoretical with the Bible because we're not having these conversations. But the disciples were real people like you and me. So imagine you're a person, you're sitting in the room. And Jesus is talking to you and he says, okay, you know how all these ways I've been with you, like I've forgiven with you, I've forgiven you, we've walked through life together, I've seen all your stuff, I've dealt with all your issues, and I still love you? Yeah, Jesus, you're so great. Okay, now you got to be that great with everybody. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, but I don't care, you're going to do it, right? That's pretty much what he says. And you know when he said this in John chapter 13, if you read a couple verses earlier, this was right when Judas had left to go do what Judas did, which was betray Jesus. So Judas leaves. Jesus tells him, hey, go do what's in your heart. Judas leaves, and then Jesus tells the disciples, hey, love people like I've loved you. Treat them like I've treated you. And the, the, probably the negative thing about being omniscient, which means all-knowing, which Jesus was, he kind of like knew everything, is that from the moment that he met Judas, or from the moment he was created, really, but from the moment he met Judas, he knew Judas was going to betray him. But God still used Jesus to show Judas the goodness of God. And that doesn't make any sense except that's what God asks out of us. To make that kind of impact on the world. That even if we, even if we know someone to, is evil, that doesn't mean we have relationship with them. But that means we are a person that in our heart we love them. We don't have hate towards them. We don't have issues with them. You know, I feel like, and this is an opinion, so this is not in the Bible. This is just my opinion. And you don't have to agree with it. It's okay. It's really okay. But I feel like a Christian should not be a person that uses the word hater. Now, I've used the word hater before. Probably I'm still going to use it because it's, it's a good word. It makes me feel good when I say it. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm right and someone else is wrong. But I feel like in our own life, we can't be a person that uses the word hater because we're all ultimately on the same team. God doesn't use the word hater. Like God doesn't look at us and say, hey, well, I'm not on your side. I'm on this other person's side. And it's easy for us as humans to, to quantify things that way and to, to organize things in our mind that way as if there's enemies over here and friends over here. But God says, I love everybody the same. And that's, that's easy for God to do, I guess. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what's easy for God to do, but it's not easy for us to do. And that's the most important thing. But then God says, you can do it. And the reason you can do it is because I'm asking you to do it. That you can really be that kind of person. 
That you can be the kind of person that you are the only Jesus that people are going to interact with. Like if you've walked with God, if you have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter how long you've served God. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. You're the only Jesus that some people will be able to interact with. You're the only goodness of God that most people are going to see. And there's, there's times in our life where God shows up and he does a miraculous thing and we have like a visitation from him. Or something crazy happens like the road to Damascus and God shows up and, you know, we, our lives change forever in an instant. But that's the exception, not the rule. The rule is that there's people that God sends into situations and into the world and into circumstances to be who God has called us to be. Not on the mission field, although that's good. Not when we go on a missions trip, not when we take up the offering, but to be who God's called us to be everywhere all the time, which is ultimately to be a person who expresses love towards people. And that's really difficult. I know it's really difficult. And God knows it's really difficult, but he still, he still asks that out of us anyway. He still asks us, asks us to be that kind of person and to be those kinds of people. So I, 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 like, I like this story about Gandhi. I mean, it's not a positive story, but I like it. Um, one Sunday morning, Gandhi, he was a lawyer for a season. He was a lawyer in South Africa and he was in a city called Durban. And one Sunday morning, he decided he, he'd read the Sermon on the Mount. He was learning about Jesus. And so he decided to go to a Christian church, he'd grown up Hindu. So he decided to go to a Christian church and, and he walks up the steps to the church to go into the church. And he stopped at the front door by the ushers and he was told that he wasn't welcome in the church because this was a church for white people. This particular church is a church for white people only. And people like you aren't welcome in our church. And because of this, uh, really, a lot of people say that because of this reject rejection, he ended up turning his back on Christianity. So later he was asked by a missionary friend by the name of E. Stanley Jones why he rejected Christ. And he said, oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. So God uses his people to be good to people. So the goodness in us is ultimately the goodness of God that he wants to express to people. And what people think, and we know this isn't true because we know our personal struggles, the badness in us, in a lot of people's mind, is the badness of God. The badness in Christianity, the badness in the followers of Christ in a lot of people's minds is that's the badness of God. There's people that to this day, probably in this room, that have negative experiences with Christians and go, is this really how God is with people? Like, is this really how the people of God behave? They act like everybody else. They do the same things as everybody else. They treat everyone else the same way. You know, in reading this story, it, had me to, it caused me to think, does who I am distance people or draw people to who God is? Does who I am as a person, not like when I'm trying to act, not like when I'm putting on a show, not when I'm standing on the stage holding a microphone in my hand and everything maybe can seem kind of rehearsed, although it's not a promise. Um, does who I am distance people from or draw people to God? And I have to be honest about those things in my life that are like really unattractive. But as a church, maybe, maybe the church is called to be this place where there's so much love that's evident in this place that people walk in. And like, John, like Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, that they'll know, they'll know that you're followers by, by 
your love for each other. That people can walk into a place, and many of us in this room, we have different political beliefs, we have different socioeconomic backgrounds, we have a lot of reasons. We have a lot of reasons to not be in relationship. We have a lot of reasons to not agree on things. But can there be such a place in the world where people come together and it really is just all love? And people believe in each other and they believe the best for each other and they're not talking negative about each other and they're not being critical about each other when really, a lot of times, Truthfully, the most critical and negative place in the world is the church. Most critical and negative people probably, to, I don't know, to me, and maybe I'm being judgmental, so I apologize before I say this. Most critical and negative people in a lot of places in America are Christians. They're the most criti critical and negative people about other Christians. They're the most critical and negative people about other people's sin. They're the most criti criti critical and negative people about other religions. That this is, this is the way that we behave towards people. We don't show them goodness. We don't show them love. We just, we're all about truth. And if, and if, you're, not, if you're not living the truth, then it doesn't matter. But, but there's something that comes before truth. It's love. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. It doesn't just say to speak the truth. And um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, they're well-meaning people. I'm not saying that there's, again, I'm trying not to be a person who's saying there's enemies out there and we're all buds in here and we got it all figured out. I'm not saying this as a person that has it all, that has it all figured out. But there's well-meaning people who live their life to like speak the truth and spread the truth. And that's 100% important and it's totally necessary. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that if I don't have love, I'm a clanging symbol. I'm a useless gong. And if you want to like do a little bit of practice on what I'm talking about, find any church in the United States of America. Just start small, right? Start small. Any church in the United States of America and read Google reviews. You'll find out that that church is literally the worst church that's ever been built in the history of the world. Doesn't matter what church it is. It's probably used, being used by Satan right now as we speak, <laughs> according to many Christians out there that would tell you. And you know, people have bad experiences with people all the time. And we don't, we don't, we don't uh, even, even for us as a church, it's not that we gloss over that and act like that stuff never happens, but we're very imperfect people. All of us are very imperfect, but hopefully, Hopefully we can be the kind of people that God uses to show unity, to show, to show love in the midst of a fractured world where people do not agree, where people are fighting each other, where crazy stuff is happening that we see happen all the time since the beginning of history, that there can be a place where God's love is so evident in that place that it truly is miraculous because it truly would be miraculous if we could be that place. But guess what? That's the kind of place God wants us to be. So if God wants us to be that kind of place, then he can get us there. Then he can lead us and guide us and take us to that place where we become the kind of people and are in the kind of place where God does miracles through us because of his goodness, which ultimately is manifested by our love. So the goodness of God is the goodness of us. I think a question that everybody who follows Christ should ask is how do I make people feel loved? How do I make the people in my life feel loved? Because that's, that's what God asks out of me. That's what Jesus asks out of me. If there's only one rule that you follow in your life, I think you should have maybe you know, two or three at least, but there's only one rule that you follow in your life, follow Jesus' rule. Love people as he has loved you. Just start there, right? So we got like a hundred things we got to get to and talk about leadership and talk about personal growth and development and talk about all these different things and talk about the fruit of the spirit. And we can get all, you know, we can get all into other parts of the Bible, but let's just like break it down and let's work on the one thing that we still don't do that great a job at as human beings. 
that we all struggle with that. I, I know that because I struggle with that. Like maybe you don't, maybe I'm just, maybe it feels like I'm bearing my soul and I got a lot of issues and I do, you know, just bear with me. But we all, we all are in it. We all find ourselves a lot of times in places where we don't wanna love. We don't wanna make people feel loved. We don't wanna love them, period. It's not even about making people feel loved. Because sometimes you can love somebody and not have relationship with them. I'm not advocating just endless relationship with people that are maybe unhealthy alignments. What I am advocating is being the kind of person that, that the Bible describes as a person who can pray even for your enemies that God would bless them. Even for people that have aligned themselves against you, that their mission, maybe in their mind or in your mind, their mission is to end you. Their mission is to ruin you, that you can pray for that person and sincerely pray that God will put his hand on them and that God will bless them. That's what love is. That's what Jesus did. At the, at the end of his life, right, he's on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They, people knew what they were doing. They knew they were putting a guy on the, on the cross. Maybe they thought he was the, the Messiah. Maybe they didn't. But even at the end of his life, Jesus is showing to us the way that we should be towards people. That there, we, our lives have to be so characterized and overwhelmed with love so that people can experience the goodness of God because if we're not good, people don't get to see the goodness of God. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it wasn't relying upon me to act right and to do good and to be loving because I don't want to be that way all the time. I don't want to be that way towards people. I just want to like live my life and have a good time. But then God says, you know, uh, there's a higher demand I'm placing on you as a person who walks with me, that you be this kind of person that my goodness is so evident in your life and the way that you treat people that they know that if you can be that good, then I'm that good. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't really have a, a um, it's hard when you're a kid to have, an, to have a revelation of like who God is. It's hard, to, it's hard when you're a kid to understand that God is this, this deity that wants to have relationship with me and there's, a Jesus and how does that all work? And it's hard, it's, you know, it's hard to navigate that. But what I knew from the time I was a little kid, what I've known is that my parents are good. Is that my parents love me and my parents are for me. And my parents believe in the destiny that they have for my life, that God has for my life. So I've always had, I've always really had a thought. The context of my relationship with God is my relationship with my earthly parents. It's my relationship with, with my dad. And if my dad wasn't a good dad, if he didn't love me, if he didn't care about me, I would think probably on some level that there's a God that didn't love me and that didn't care about me because our relationship with God parallels our relationship with humanity. Many of us in this room, we didn't grow up in good homes. We didn't grow up in situations where there were people around us that loved us and, and that were for us. But imagine, imagine if you did, if you're that person. Imagine if you can be that person, how miraculous it would be that there could be someone in your life that you love them so much and you're so good to them and they know 100% they don't deserve it. They don't deserve your goodness. Back to Romans chapter two, verse four, the goodness of God leads people to repentance. The goodness of God turns people towards him. The goodness of God helps people to understand, man, I so, I so don't deserve that. And many of us in this room have experienced that. God's goodness in our life that, that has visited us, that has shown up, that we sit there and go, man, like Maddie or like Adam who we saw or like Angela, that 
you know, you're sitting there going, this is, I'm, I'm amazed I'm not dead. I'm amazed I'm not in jail. I'm amazed I'm not whatever. And all this has to do with the goodness of God. Ralph Barnard, who was a missionary, said, said one of these days, someone is going to come along, pick up a Bible and believe it and put the rest of us to shame. So we've been living, you know, for me, as, as Christians, we've been living for, as Christ followers for 2,000 years. There's got to be some people that come along that say, you know what? Jesus said we can love people, so we're going to do it. Jesus said we can believe the best for people even when the worst has been displayed. We're going to do it. Jesus said we can pray for people that have aligned themselves against us or that have called themselves our enemies. We can do it because he's faithful to help us. And God's a faithful God. And that's, and that's miraculous. If we can be those kinds of people, if we can be individuals that are that way, but then if we collectively come together and there's an organization, which means we're just organized, there's a culture and a group of people that are so characterized by love that the goodness of God cannot help but be expressed through them. How miraculous would that be and how many miracles would we see in people's lives? Margaret Mead, who was an anthropologist, said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. We're not a small group of committed people. This is our third service of, of this weekend. We've already had thousands of people come into this building. So imagine if there was a place called the church where God's goodness and his love was so evident through our personal relationships, so evident through the way that we operated with each other, that people could not help but look at the way that we operate and go, man, God is real. Like if people can get together of all kinds of different colors, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different belief systems, and they can come together and they can be about one thing, man, that would truly be miraculous. Because what we see in the world is, is the way that the world works. And the sad thing is with, with the church, that there are many pockets of the church where this kind of stuff happens, where there's just as many divisions within the church as there are uh, within the world. But God has called us to be unified. God's called us to love because God's called us to show his goodness to people. And so let's, let's just, in our own personal way, if I can challenge you, just be that person. Don't worry about the big, just worry about the basic. Just be that person that maybe like your kids need that from you, because I know they do. I'm, I'm a kid that needed that, still needs that. I'm 30 years old. Like, I don't know what I'd do without the love of my parents, without knowing that they love me and were for me. Maybe, maybe your kids need that. Maybe your friends need that. Maybe those people that you work with just need you to be good to them. So you should be kind and loving and start there. And I, and I trust and believe, and all of us can trust and believe that let's start where God tells us to start and he's gonna take us on this journey. He's gonna lead us, he's gonna guide us, he's gonna show you what's next, but his starting point is let's start with love. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.